0: Good evening, and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, and CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and I have a return guest. I have Marita Murphy from Ballarat, Melbourne, Australia, back on the show. Now, she shared her story with us way back on October 29th. She's season two, episode 121, and she talked about her story of uh, being sexually abused and back at back in 1968 at the age of seven so she's here on the show today and we're going to discuss the statutes of limitation in victoria australia so welcome back marita hello marianne how are you okay
1: chilly it's chilly (laughs) over here (laughs) it's beautiful here and we have no tornadoes i'm so sad for america and her people
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's devastating from what I, the yes. pictures I saw. Yes. Hmm. So we have a lot to talk about uh, with these statutes of limitation, what, what your country has going on and how it affects you and your case.
1: Yes. Yes, I was a test case, and that's what I'd like to talk about today. Right. Now, how come they called you a test case? Because they had uh, our our sole at that time female prime minister in Australian history called a Royal Commission into Childhood Sexual Abuse because there was overwhelming, um, disturbing stories coming out, mostly from the Catholic Church, but that's not confined to there. There was scouts and just the same as America doctors and, all sorts of people: swimming coaches, football coaches, teachers, um, l- brothers that were teaching in Catholic schools. So that Royal Commission was fundamentally called for boy victims, and mm. that was institu- institutional orphanages, etc. Um, institutional child sexual abuse only accounts for twenty percent here so that leaves 80% that's been unaddressed which is often incest in the family home and familial rape so that Royal Commission was fundamentally called for boys mm-hmm. um, but I'm obviously a girl victim and I didn't report to the Royal Commission although if it if it was um, running now I would report to the Royal Commission because As the Royal Commission came through Ballarat, which was an epicentre of childhood sexual abuse, I actually had both a civil and a criminal case running. So Mm. I didn't need the Royal Commission. But in hindsight, I ended up with not being heard and paying for the privilege. So at the wind-up of the Royal Commission, there was amendments made to the Australian government. And one of the recommendations was that in over 4,000 victim stories, there was an average age gap Mm -hmm. um, in in years of reporting, which in Victoria was 33 years. So they recommended to the government that they abolish the statute of limitations laws, which prevented people um, who'd been sexually abused as a child from lodging a complaint or getting a voice or going to court or suing the church Etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so the laws apparently were changed, and I did not know that. But in 2015, mm-hmm. the Victorian state government changed the statute of limitations laws and abolished it. And then along I came and challenged it and was told that it was too long ago, so I couldn't be heard. So, as a test case that failed, I've actually set a bad precedent for any other victims or survivors following.
0: I'm so sorry. They should not have done that to you. That's silly.
1: If I (laughs) went to court and failed due to the passage of time, you could accept that, but to have to pay to not be heard, well, you know, that is just silly and wrong. I mean, what do we have these big courthouses for if they're not going to let um, rape victims tell their stories or be heard? This is... (laughs) You know, people suffering from trauma and um, um, unacknowledged criminal acts perpetrated upon their innocent selves. I mean, what can a seven-year-old do? Um, They need counselling and therapy and they have trigger warnings in place. Well, all that stuff is Band-Aids. If if victims of rape got justice, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't need all this other... um, temporary measures to to help them cope
0: right because there would be um closure you'd have closure exactly
1: exactly because you know you don't if you stay alive you don't stay a child forever and at some point you decide that you want to be heard you want to be validated you want to be justified you want to have a voice um i just wanted to have a voice and it's it's just it's just, um, it's risk for the meal in the fact that it keeps lots of lawyers and, and driving around in fancy cars and, mm-hmm. you know, litigation just creates um, jobs for the boys, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it also creates uh, cases being
0: dragged out. Exactly. As they dangle a carrot before your nose, <laughs> you know, yes. it's just horrible.
1: And in whose best interest is that? It's never the victims. They, it takes years and years. We had a case about two weeks ago where one of my Facebook friends got awarded $3.7 million um, by the St. Ambrose's Catholic Church in Brunswick. So he sued the Catholic Church. And I happened to be in the area at that time so I tied ribbons on the fence in his honour of what he'd been through mm-hmm. and I, I said to him you know do you want to meet because we haven't actually met we've been Facebook friends for a long long time mm-hmm. and of course he's in hospital so mm-hmm. you know the, the money that ridiculous amount of money can't give him back an education a childhood a good life you know a stable life a happy life or you know, I actually can't believe he's that he's alive. Um, yeah, the trauma that he's been through and, the, and you know, the Catholic Church allowed the fight to go right to the court doorstep all the time, you know, hoping he'd go away or have a mental health breakdown or commit suicide, you know. The, everyone knew they were liable, but, you know, the lawyers have got no credibility or decency where they just acknowledge his pain and suffering and fix it. I mean, obviously, the priest had other victims.
0: Oh, that's, that's terrible. Uh,
1: it is terrible.
0: So they, they led him basically to the courthouse, then they settled.
1: Yes, and, and because that, that amount of money, he will have to pay his lawyers because they actually had to prepare the case to go to court, whereas mm-hmm. if the church had any sort of conscience or moral fibre, they would have settled, and, and that, that priest is suspected of the murder. He's dead now, but he was suspected of the murder of Maria Jane. She's the Thornbury bookshop murder victim who's was going to go to the hierarchy about her son. Her son had a, a disability and she was going to to talk on his behalf and she was stabbed to death in her bookshop and someone working at the church saw the priest running in with blood on him. But not, not, it's it's a cold case um podcast now but nothing was ever done oh,
0: same geez. priest
1: yeah it's just it's a parallel case to the keepers almost mm-hmm. you know the keep keepers was the murdered that that lovely young nun that they murdered right. who was only yeah it's a sort of a parallel case where there was no sort of justice or closure and then the participants end up dying of old age hallelujah
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and the keepers i think that's still on netflix over here yes. at least
1: yes yes so her two sons maria james's two sons await for you know a colonial, co- colonial inquest into you know clarifying kind of what we all know anyway it was the same priest
0: oh geez that's yeah. just so disgusting
1: It is. It is disgusting. All of it's disgusting. And that's where our voices are important collectively to call it out. So I wanted to talk about challenging the Statue of Limitations. The last time that you had me on, um, I felt that I wouldn't have anything else to talk about. But in a selfish way, I'd like today today to be all about me. Me was my initials when I was young, Marita Elliott. And, um, up until I get got married, I was formerly me, and you know it completely just de- de- um, derailed my life. Um, I-, I was looking back at the trauma that I suffered as a child. We lived in a little Catholic community, and we didn't see a great deal of activity or other people. Everything was just rural, living by the the rhythm of the church and going to the Catholic school, and we had nuns and our a little convent, and we had a presbytery, and that the founding father was a priest called Father Pooley who founded our little um, township of Marynol, and he. I was just looking at the trauma of my life. I'd started school at four and a half. My class was the first. Uh, class to start at the school which was built next door to our family home and the church and now the general store so there's four corners in Mary Knoll, the little village and that's the four corners the church the general shop the school which is now the hall and our family home and it's the only home that still is owned by the original settlers And my dad helped build school and the men used to, I used to take his thermos over. He was dying of a brain tumour, but still working at that point. And at four, I would take over his thermos and his jam sandwich. And I'd sit with the men and I felt very comfortable Mm -hmm. and they used to joke and say, we're building the school for you. Well, in 1966, I started there at four and a half. So I was the youngest person, um, to start at the school, because as the school opened, it went from prep, which is pre-primary, all the way through to grade six before people headed off to high school. So um, I started school with my next door neighbour and a few other next door neighbours, but I had two neighbours on one side. So one I started school with, and her last photo alive on this earth was with me, And she caught fire and burnt to death in the family home. And actually, she didn't burn to death. She died of her burns from infection about two weeks later. So that was my best friend. That was my next-door neighbour. So I used to read the little Millie Molly Mandy books and little friend Susan. So that was my closest child in age. And she died this terrible, horrendous death, you know, even my brother that's 10 years older than me said he could remember her screams and just the trauma of the family. It was so horrible. And then above them lived an old lady who'd never married called Miss Vale. And she was my other friend. These were people that I could climb through the fence and go and visit. And she died. And then my dad died to succumb to his brain tumour when I was six and the founder of Marinol, Father Pooley, then he died. So, oh my goodness, the, the, the small amount of people that I knew as a child, four of them were dead within about four years, and I was only six or seven. So, that's,
0: wow, that's I just feel so bad. That's the, a lot of loss <laughs> for a little
1: kid, it is a lot of loss, and then I got gang raped. right things things things, then things took a took a nasty turn so um you have to be resilient and if you're resilient and you can come through well then you need to use your experiences um for good not for uh I'm still here you know a lot of the victims in Ballarat are not still here so it's important that we use our voice to you, you know people are uncomfortable hearing or talking or thinking about child sexual abuse and rape and I'm like well if you can't stand talking about it imagine if you had to live it Mm -hmm. if you feel uncomfortable talking about it or thinking about it what's it like for the victim that actually has to live it and and then you've got you've got this pain and this shame that any rape victim will have this pain and this shame and then you actually realize This is not my pain. This is not my shame. I've done nothing wrong. I'm going to take it and put it where it actually belongs. It doesn't belong with me. It belongs with the perpetrators, the criminals. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time to face it and deal with it, but I did. It took me over 40 years, which is pretty standard. As I said, it was 33 years was the average age of, of reporting Um, childhood sexual abuse and I had still had two young children I had I had two young children in primary school when I first reported Mm -hmm. um so I kind of just wanted to purge it and get rid of it because it people can tell you that you can bury it for a fairly long time but eventually it bubbles back up Mm -hmm. at some point sometimes people then will have a breakdown as it resurfaces, and they're not, you know, you might not be quite so busy with your daily life. So, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't consult anyone before I reported to the police, which, in hindsight, wasn't a great way to start off. But I'm not going to beat myself up for any missteps because the system doesn't work no matter what you do. So. Hindsight would be that if I had my time over again, Mary Ann, I would have hired a private investigator because that would have been a whole lot more fun, and Mm -hmm. I would have been I would have been in control. I would have been in charge. Mm -hmm. And when you when you go to the police, you have no power, no power at all. I've just been reading the books on Cardinal Pell. Now he was defended and had the wealth and the might of the church to hire the very best QCs to defend him as he was. Um, convicted of childhood sexual abuse he's homegrown here from Ballarat and third highest hierarchy in the Vatican now so that's the status that he rose to Mm. so he was convicted of childhood sexual assault and there'd been other talk and murmurs about him through something called the Southwall report which dated right back into the 60s which was recognized that the person who accused him, the boy that accused him was judged to be a credible witness. And um Cardinal Powell, where was I going with that? So I've read all the literature and the books about the case and about him and he was not guilty, but when he was convicted, his very, very smart, very expensive QC said, Oh, it was just vanilla offending meaning he just orally raped an altar boy. So on one hand, he's not guilty, but on the other hand, it's just vanilla offending. Well, obviously, that QC's never been raped as a child, because how could you just so careless and callously just say, oh, it was just vanilla offending, um, and at the same time saying he's not guilty. (laughs) So because he had the wealth and the power of the church behind him, they appealed to the High Court and he was exonerated and set free. He didn't come back to Ballarat, but the literature and the books that I read, um, in on one page in one of the books, it said there was a very well known consensus that if you went to the Ballarat police station, which is my my hometown of over half my life, to report Catholic clergy abuse abuse, you were showing the door and not given an ear or any other consideration. You were just simply showing the door and it was a well-known fact. So I highlighted that and I've been putting that on Facebook and I was dealing with the Ballarat police with another criminal matter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just, a, just a property criminal matter here and getting very poor service And so I sent that through to them and now I get no service. They don't like me at all because I'm a child sex abuse awareness advocate and I'm highlighting this, you know. So I'd have to say culturally, nothing has changed. Sadly, there hasn't been this, you know, acknowledgement and embarrassment and, you know, serve and protect, like, hello, do your Mm -hmm. job. Do your job or decriminalise rape. And, I mean, how could a how could a functioning society say that we're not going to worry about sexual abuse against children? How could a functioning society think that was okay? It's not functioning. Uh, Simply not yeah, functioning. That really so, is terrible. It is terrible. And because you're a target, <laughs> because you want to speak about it and call it out and highlight it. So... I used to say spotlight and now highlight because when spotlight the movie came to Ballarat, it was just, you know, same deal, different city. And when you do the research, it's just, again, it's just the same deal, a different city. Thank heavens for social media because all these people never had a voice. Actually, um, the politician, Stuart Grimley, who put my documentary online, he emailed me this morning to highlight the fact that, Um, somebody has passed comment on my documentary and she was involved with the keepers. So my documentary is being noted and looked at in the USA. And as she said, you know, I'm, I've paid my taxes and worked hard all my life. Why am I, why am I not entitled to protection or any justice or a voice? You know, it shouldn't be, oh well you're just a female, you're not in you know, women are people too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, that's our well, quaint thought.
0: Well, you know, it's it's like way back, you know, it was always um you know, this always happened to little girls. And, still and then Yeah, and then it kinda of changed to now it's happening to little boys too. Yes. You know, but they're... And
1: they're getting they're getting a voice. They're suing the church. <clears throat> Another survivor who went to Rome said to me about two weeks ago, he got a final, finally, finally got a million dollar payout. Promptly had a massive heart attack and nearly died. Now oh no. he went he with the Royal Commission when Cardinal Pell wasn't well enough to fly home. They immediately had a GoFundMe campaign and they were all flown to Rome. They wanted to meet with the Pope. The Ballarat survivors wanted an audience with the Pope and the Pope couldn't facilitate them. But I saw he meets with celebrities all the time. I saw a picture of him the other day meeting with Jeffrey Epstein and G- Gislaan Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And just recently I saw a picture of him meeting with Spider-Man. He, h- Hello? Like he can meet with celebrities any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Why does Spider-Man have more credibility than ballarat childhood sexual abuse victims that have traveled from here to rome and he hasn't got time or or the conscience to meet with them why does he drive around in a bulletproof pope mobile does someone want to shoot him why would they want to shoot the pope he's wonderful
0: Mm -hmm. oh that's that's so disappointing to hear he should have met with them
1: absolutely Absolutely. So the game's up, time's up, um, little girls too. Um, so I'm highlighting these cases. There was another case of a private school college settled with the male victim for $2.6 Now it's cost me in excess of $100,000 to not be heard at this point. And normally they will say, oh, you know, we can't do anything because it's just your word against his. Well, in my case, there was three of them that's gang rape, and two of them had criminal records. I, I've got no criminal record. No one supporting me with mm-hmm. a police statement or statutory declarations has a criminal record, and yet I can't get heard. I am the witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am the witness, you know. So I'm going to go through some of the things that happened as I challenged the statute of limitations, which is just an expensive legal game. And mm-hmm. I knew to have any credibility, I would have to play that legal game, even though we all know that there's no justice through the courts. Mm-hmm. We currently have a 1% conviction rate on in the Victoria State today on rape and sexual abuse reporting. 1%. That's just of the people who report. I don't know whether 40 or 50% of people report their rapes and the other 40 to 60 to 50 whatever percent don't i don't know we will never know what those percentages are because you know i go to talk to women about being a child sex abuse awareness victim and the reactions i get are amazing you know some people tear up some people look away some people just pull down the blind and don't want to acknowledge it or and these are all people that are suffering silently they've been sexually abused and it hasn't been dealt with because Who or where is going to, and you watch these radio interviews and there'll be someone there getting pumped and saying, oh, why didn't you report? Well, who should you report to? Mm -hmm. And who's going to do anything? Who do you tell? Like seriously, Mm -hmm. I think everybody should go to the police and report their crimes and ask for a copy of their statement knowing full well that nothing will probably happen. And once a year worldwide, we could hold up our statements on social media and say nothing happened after I reported. Because what are the police there for if they're not going to investigate and and the ODP who lays the charges it's it is a circus it is a blind it is a joke it is has no credibility it is stupid Mm -hmm. we say don't report so when I reported I was a very busy person and I didn't have much time to dwell on this I hadn't dealt with it I reported to the police and left it with them well it, it turns out It took them a year and a half, nearly, total max, to find the Aboriginal perpetrator. After Mm -hmm. I'd sued my other perpetrator, who was a wealthy white male, um, so if I have to be racist, I'm just merely stating that one of them was um, a college-educated, wealthy, entitled, stale, pale male, and the other one was a juvenile delinquent Aboriginal, which is an Australian native. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after I failed with the statute of limitations, I knew the key to my case was to find the Aboriginal. It took me about 10 minutes. So, all the police with their resources and him having a criminal record, it took them nearly a year and a half to find him. And it took me getting active on Facebook and putting a message out. Um, it didn't take me long at all to be standing in front of him, aided by sisterhood and the sisterhood have been absolutely amazing and and men have been good too but um again you will often you could be talking to a man who could have had done something in his past that he he can't um change Mm -hmm. and again i say there's exceptions to every rule there's women perpetrators there's um but the majority of it is, and you know, we'll offend someone somewhere, but the majority of domestic violence and violence, violence in the home and sexual abuse is men over women, and it's the more powerful over the weaker. It's the stronger over the vulnerable. Um, again, there's exceptions to every rule, but let's face it, men aren't walking down the road worried that women are going to pull up, drag them into a the car, take them away and rape them and tie them up and... Do whatever with them, and then maybe murder them. That just just doesn't doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm not being unfair. I'm not picking on men. Oh, it's a hard time to be a man. No, it's not. Just be respectful. Rape's a crime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I met with my perpetrator, as it's in my documentary, and you know I can back this up with evidence. I didn't know how to spell his surname. I gave the wrong spelling of the surname via a typo in my brother's um, obituary that he wrote for my mother. That's now a legal document. So I took this, went to the police like a child. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I went to the police like a seven-year-old. I didn't know who they were or where they were. I just wanted to get rid of it and the police uh, initiated my older sister's help. She is 11 years older than me. She had the address of the house in her address book where the offending took place. The house no longer exists, Um, but with her help, and I did not want to involve other people. When I reported to the police, nobody knew I was going there. I hadn't discussed it with my husband. I hadn't discussed it with my sister. My children didn't know. Mm -hmm. By the time I met with my perpetrator at a meeting, his lawyer called. I went alone. The police knew I was going. A supporter that's known me all my life that used to be Livy Marinol, knew I was going. Um, My husband and my sister knew I was going. Um, But at this point, my children still didn't know. And the day that the police identified him and arrested him and interviewed him, my children didn't know. And then they rang me police rang me and I was in the car with my children and they rang and they said, oh, you know, we've found him, we arrested him, we've interviewed him. And I ridiculously had the thought process that, well, a, I couldn't express any jubilation. I had to be careful what I said because the children were in the car and they didn't know that I'd been raped when I was a child. They just knew that I was a very protective mother, bit of a paranoid mother, didn't send them to kindergarten or to play to daycare I I took them to playgroup and socialised them and um, I never outsourced any mothering. I did all my mothering myself. And when the policeman said to me, we found him, because I didn't know if these people would still be alive, I was no help to the police to find them, which is why I didn't just approach him myself without involving the police, because I didn't even know if this person existed. And the police said to me... "Um, you know, we arrested him and I had this massive feeling of relief and I thought, Oh, thank goodness, that's all over But of course, hilariously, that was just the beginning of a very long journey because he had denied everything. He said to the police that I never I didn't exist, had no idea what they're talking about, the Aboriginal didn't exist, you know, ludicrous, just crazy, mm. ridiculous. Um, no knowledge at all of what you've his uncle married my parents, um, his namesake uncle. So I thought about it and I thought, well, as a woman, I had empathy for him in his situation. I thought, I suppose if someone's going to accuse you of rape, that's um, a pretty big thing from your past to come barreling back to you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, he could be married, he could have children. He could be. Um, he he could be feeling really awful. What a what a horrible surprise! I've I've like welcomed him back to my light, my nightmare, which is my life. Um, but I I I didn't have a sense of vindication. I honestly had empathy, thinking, oh gosh, you know, I I could contact him and we could meet, we could talk, we could sort something out, and this whole thing could go away. I could withdraw my complaint to the police and my children will never know, and I can get on with my life. Um, I think I did want him to pay me compensation. I had a strong feeling like I wasn't a blow-up doll. They were crimes that they committed against me. I was digitally raped. I was sexually molested. I was gang-raped, and my brother told me later that mum told him they raped me with a stick. And people will say, oh, they were want- he was only 13 yeah well I was only seven Mm -hmm. and he he was nearly 14 so we're talking about a little country girl first time away from home and she's in grade two and he's in year two or year eight form two from a catholic private college in Melbourne like the power imbalance is ridiculous oh but he's only 13 or the other one's only 14 well There's two youths twice my age and they have complete control of me. And so when they took me under the bridge to do a pre-planned gang rape, that's kidnapping. Mm -hmm. I did not want to be there. I knew rude was wrong. That was the only four-letter word I kind of knew. Rude was wrong. I knew rude was wrong. I didn't know what sex was. Mm -hmm. And the, the digital rape he termed as a poke. And that hurt, it was very invasive, it was very sudden, it was very confronting, it was embarrassing, it was painful. And I grew up thinking that poke was a four-letter word. Mm -hmm. I was traumatised by the Mm -hmm. word poke and my girlfriend was looking at me thinking, what's wrong with you? And she just poked me in the shoulder and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I just gave you a poke. Mm -hmm. And it was only then that I thought, oh, yes, pokes, that's what he called digital rape. That's what he called it—a a poke. So I was traumatized. Um, I was violated. I like say sorry. You—you you, know—you know—you're not 14 or 13 anymore. You're an adult. You're a grown man. You've damaged and hurt someone. You should say sorry. Mm-hmm. And as as my brother said to me, had our mother decided to pursue him. He's got a great life he's he's a, he's an entrepreneur he's a successful businessman with quite a few businesses he's online he's just been very successful but like my brother said if our mother had' been a vindictive or a nasty person she could have his future could have been over before his life started like she cut him she cut him slack she she gave him a good chance and a good choice to have a good life but she's not the one that was raped I was and I'm Mm -hmm. not a little kid anymore I'm a grown-up and I want I want to face you and I I want you to acknowledge me Mm -hmm. and no no we're going to threaten you we're not going to acknowledge you we he leaned over I put it on Twitter today he leaned over and he said to me I know David Hayes and David Hayes is now a leading trainer in Hong Kong. And I used to work for David's father. And when he leaned over to threaten me and said to me, I know David Hayes, I just thought, Oh, beauty. That's excellent news. (laughs) Actually within about, he stormed out of the room and I rang David Hayes and talked to him for about 20 minutes. And I have a record of that call. So I haven't been intimidated. I haven't been threatened, and that's when I sued him. Mm-hmm. But of course, the men of the court don't want victims to have any power to be able to come into their courts with their stories of of survival or um, reporting of crimes, because every second woman that I speak to has got a story. Every second woman, they're not growing up sexually safe, mm-hmm. and if they if they tell me nothing happened to them when they grew up as they're growing up, I'm like, Hallelujah! You're so special, because the numbers worldwide is one in three to four girls and one in five to six boys. But I'm telling you from my work in talking to random strangers every day on the street, is that I'm I'm saying it's every second woman. Every second woman has not got through childhood with, without some sort of that's very common it's very mm-hmm. standard and, and i grew up with this my parents had this mindset of the way they'd been educated and the system they believed in they were very worried about com, communism and freedom um and we were free and we were very lucky to be free we were very poor we were probably living in poverty but we had our faith and we had our health and we 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 had our freedom which is magical and, you know, we've got our family. These were the things that were valued. So we're growing up worried about the reds under the beds is Mm what's the terminology that was used. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I suspect I've met communists and they're probably very lovely people because they don't stand out to me as bad people. Mm -hmm. And I grew up worried about communists. Would I meet one? How bad would they be? Would Would they stand out? And I realise now at 60 that I've had 55 years of male dominance, violence and sexual abuse and it was the Catholic ideology of males over females that I had to be worried about, not the reds under the beds or the communists. And I'm calling it out. Like, mm-hmm. I don't mind respecting men and I don't mind respecting if they want to be the leaders and they want to be the head of the house and all the rest of it. If they're respectful and they're good men, I don't have a problem with that. But be blowed if I'm going to respect a system run by men for other men mm-hmm. if it's if it's dodgy, you know. Men, I was watching a thing on the Nazis' history last night. Nazi Nazi megastructures, you know, and you've got Hitler and one of his top men there, and they're working out battle plans and who they can blow up and how many tanks they've got and battleships and that and a a woman a gentle woman comes in and makes them both a cup of tea and I thought I really should have said to the woman what do you reckon and she might have just said oh let's all withdraw and go home and have happy lives you know and and some ridiculous amount of men got killed in that battle they were planning you know some fighting on foreign territories why do we sit back and let men be in charge when they're just raping and wrecking and they're capable of such brilliance. Mm -hmm. But they want to tear down and build back up and you know they should be protecting women and children. You know, we're we're brought up to believe the Titanic, you know, women and children first, you know. Mm -hmm. Who got the women and children onto the Titanic? You know, she's unsinkable, built by men. And men Mm -hmm. are there trumpeting the fact that she's unsinkable. You know, and We've got this fallacy that men protect women and children. Well, we've got the fallacy fairy tale. Now we want the reality and the truth, and I'm calling it out because they actually don't. So a county court woman judge ruled that my case go to court after looking at it, and because he had the money, he appealed to the Court of Appeal, which adjudicates over the Supreme Court in Melbourne to get my case thrown out. And three males threw the case out and I had to pay him. And I needed to clarify with the amazing advocate, lawyer, activist and also victim and author Ingrid Irwin, who you've had on twice Mm -hmm. and who um, helped me with my documentary with all the legal um, jargon. When she says I could take Marita's name off a lot of my cases and put any name on and you'd get the same result. I just want to clarify, what she means by that is that no one gets justice. Mm -hmm. No one has a case like me. With all my research, I've never seen anyone that's had to pay their alleged, we've got to put in the alleged, the alleged, my alleged rapist, I had to pay him, the bill was $120,000 to not be heard. So I want to clarify. When Ingrid says that all these cases are just the same, my, I've never seen a case anywhere. I just say that's a gross miscarriage of justice. I'm not happy about it. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to talk about it. I've been through the system. Now I'm going to talk about my journey. They call it the second wound. The first wound is when you're raped and
0: mm-hmm. the
1: second wound is, wound is when you decide that you want some justice
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there is none, unless you hark back to those three latest cases. Um, well, there's four actually that spring to mind. The Ballarat victim that went to Rome got a million dollars, then he had a massive heart attack and nearly died. Uh, another one just launched a book, and I know that he got a bigger payout because his trauma was worse. Uh, the college student, 2.6 million, and then my other friend who got 3.6 million. Now that's Boy, justice, mm-hmm. but the girl justice is I have to pay him one hundred and twenty thousand to not be heard. That is crazy. I am so it sorry. Is crazy. Oh. It, oh, I remain confident, Marianne. I remain, I remain confident. At the moment, I have launched, um, I have launched a project and a campaign called A Thousand Good Men, and I've pointed it at racing. So because I've spent, had no education, I've got no career as such, I have no superannuation. And now this person who's done so much damage to me, he's got a lot of money and now he's got my money. Well, I haven't told any lies and I'm going to be quite vocal about it. So Mm -hmm. I've launched my campaign in racing. If a thousand good men put in a hundred dollars, I'll have my money back. Mm -hmm. And the sport of Kings is full of, um, wealthy businessmen who can afford to race horses. I don't want money from women. I don't want money from victims, survivors, workers, or strugglers. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite happy to say to a thousand men in racing, you, you know, would you be happy to to contribute a hundred dollars for me to get my money back? And then the a thousand good men project will then become the title for my future book, That's which excellent. will be full. Of Yeah, that that, that book would be full of of funny stories. I don't want my life defined by having a big whinge about being raped as a kid.
0: No, that's, you know, how you came up with A Thousand Good Men, that's, you know, that's excellent. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, very catchy, Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, the first man that donated about two weeks ago, he's kind of ruined the concept because he put 500 in. I'm trying to do a thousand good men, and you've put 500. You've kind of now I only need today. I need 992 good men, but Mm -hmm. um, I had to laugh because he's actually never met me, but I have. I've seen a photo of him with the man that I sued for rape. Mm -hmm. So, So he knows the man that I sued for rape. So you know, you don't have to be the biggest or the strongest or the most powerful. And I mean, how many times have you seen a hearse heading off? to the cemetery with a trailer behind it i mean what good is the money i could die tomorrow Mm -hmm. he could die tomorrow um you know if if everything in life is defined by money you're not very rich Mm -mm. (laughs) so yeah so it's also you know your life is also defined
0: by getting closure
1: Absolutely. Yeah, closure's not, I'm not there at the moment. I need my mm-hmm. money back. I haven't, you know, it's, it's, um, I know what's right and what's wrong, Marianne, my mm-hmm. like big picture stuff, and, and that's wrong. I mean, I understand his reluctance to take responsibility, but he shouldn't have taken my money. That was silly. Right. Yeah, that yeah.
0: he stole that from you. I mean, here he is well, a wealthy guy, and he stole yeah, from you. Yeah,
1: that's fraud. That is so, fraud. Yeah. Exactly. He's committed perjury by lying um, and his brother, the witness, if you Google him, he, uh, the money is payable into, it's the NAB Bank, it's the National Bank of Australia and I have done no business with the NAB Bank and then I found out his brother, who was the witness to my gang rape, he had defrauded the bank, NAB Bank of over a million dollars when he worked for them. And put it through the pokies and went to jail for over five years for fraud. So I galloped off to the NAB Bank and opened that account to start my GoFundMe. Now, at that point, my GoFundMe merely told my story. And my GoFundMe says, I don't want people to give me money. I don't want charity. I want justice. Mm-hmm. I'm not a sad case that needs to walk around with my hand out. No, I want justice. And I mean, I don't know many people that run a GoFundMe and say they don't want money. I just wanted to highlight what had happened. And at that point, I was still frightened of talking because he threatened me and he was going to sue me and all the rest of it. Well, his opportunity to sue me was when I was suing him for rape. He says he's innocent. Why didn't he countersue me? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, th- I think it answers itself, doesn't it? hmm and why would you sue someone for rape? If the judges had to let it go, and I was heading to court, I'm sure there would have been a, a, a doorstop settlement, just like there was with my friend Robert a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They don't want these things out. He 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 tried he tried desperately to get his name and his identity concealed by um, he appealed to the judges to get his identity hidden and I didn't fight that basically I couldn't afford to anyway so when the judges ruled in his favor they put it online well then the cat's out of the bag because anybody can read that Mm -hmm. so I want to touch a little bit on on the judges reasons when the judges uh, ruling against me came out so I never was seen I never was heard I never went to court period at all again I was handled by a man the QC that um, represented me in the appeal I had to go to Melbourne and meet with him and it was all about him it was the stupidest meeting and I wrote and told him as such I said you reminded me of the gynecologist that delivered my first baby that was a face presentation so she was stuck In the end, he's like the hero with the forceps and he delivered the baby and I just happened to be there. And Mm -hmm. I've since seen him with his wife and he was a war hero. And when he walks full of regal status and stature, his wife's like two steps behind him. And, again, he had no empathy for the fact that I was, it's just pig stuff. It's just pig stuff. You know, the next gynaecologist that I was booked into to have my next baby, he would have women and toddlers waiting in the waiting room and I would speak to them. And I realised he used to book three women in at the same time. He was so important. He'd have three women come and they'd all have the same time slot. So depending on how early you got there with your toddlers, you'd be the first one in that time slot. How dare they? Who mm-hmm. do they think they are? <clears throat> Entitled. It's just a male privilege and I'm mm-hmm. so sick of it. So the QC, it was a stupid meeting, like it's a whole day for me to travel to Melbourne on the train and meet with him and it was all about the poor barrister who was caught up on the um, county court circuit and couldn't get into town with the traffic and they had him on speakerphone and the lawyer that was representing me, a, a young lass who did go through um, law school with honours, but she's not street smart, she said, we need to play nice ladies and just not rock the boat. Well, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she came with a big suitcase like it had pillows in it and never opened it. Mm-hmm. And so he's uh, we got an hour's meeting and a quarter of it had gone, spent on the barrister, and I thought, this is stupid. So I just said to him, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And he said, yes. And I said, well, do you think the system's corrupt? And it really caught him off guard. And he leaned back in his chair and he said, oh, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, we won't have a problem then. My second question is, should I come to the appeal? And he got his mojo back and he let his feet go, and he came forward in his chair, and he said, "Oh no, there's no need for you to come to the appeal." He said, "That'll just, will just be legal jargon way above your head." What a pig! That was—he was spending my money representing me at the appeal, and I'm not even—I'm not even invited. I'm not even cited. That was the only chance I had to have any sort of voice or be cited, and so. I wrote to him and told him what I thought. And a long time afterwards, I said to him, what was it like spending over $100,000 of my money? Because I would have no idea what that would be like. And to his credit, he wrote back to me. And he did say, he's now a judge. He's not a QC anymore, he's a judge. And to his credit, he wrote back and he said, oh, I don't remember the meeting being like that. But when the judge's ruling came through, I have to confess, I wasn't strong enough to read it. I didn't want to read it. I just thought it's just a whole bunch of hogswash. I can't even go there. But the, over time, I've had a little bit of a look at a few things, and they said things like, "Oh, she can't come to court because the the parents are dead." Whoop-de-do. Him and I are in our sixties. Well, I was in my fifties then. Big deal. We're adults. We don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have taken him on over the mother's dead bodies, I wouldn't have taken him on over the, if the mothers were alive. If the mothers were alive, I wouldn't do that to them. Like we're grown ups, we don't need the mothers to be involved to clarify that what I'm saying is true. I'll show you the address of his home. Like why would I have the address of his home if I don't know him? Why would I have the address of his childhood home? How did I know where he went to live with his family afterwards if I don't even know how to spell his surname? Mm -hmm. because my mum told me i heard it verbally i didn't see it in written form and everything i said was proven to be correct i said it was a bayside suburb of melbourne i'm just a little kid from the bush Mm -hmm. you know even though i'd been to these suburbs as i grew up i'd never joined the dots and realized that well this is where i'll this is where i was when i got raped um so the judges said oh you know we can't The police said to me, the house is no longer there, but it doesn't matter, we can get a plan of the house. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. my lawyer was saying to me, oh, do you reckon you could figure out what bridge they took you under to rape you? I mean, seriously, I'm a seven-year-old kid and it's 40-odd years later. This is just rubbish. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can't do anything because it's your word against his. Well, that's rubbish because there's three of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know like she was asking for it it was something that she wore was it something I wore I was seven it's oh all rubbish God. it's just you know it's yes. fair it's just blocks it's just men stopping us ever having a voice mm-hmm. and I'm call I'm calling it out I'm gonna have a voice Miriam you've given mm-hmm. me a voice you've given me a voice and I'm so grateful because as I've done the research and the study, it's the same thing worldwide. It's not a mm-hmm. bad situation in Melbourne. It's the same. It is just mm-hmm. it is just men over women worldwide. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm calling it out. It's it's it's, um, it's privilege. It's male it's male privilege. Like mm-hmm. if I went to court and I was hurt and I failed you did the passage of time at least I've been heard, but I, no, we're not going to give you a voice. We're not going to go away, go back into your hole, go away. So the police, it became painfully obvious that the police weren't going to do anything. So it's a little game of um, media telling you to report your crimes and you're gonna report them and we're gonna do a mock investigation and we may or may not keep you in the loop or we may or may, your, your case may or may not be active and we may or may not tell you. I mean, It's gross disrespect,
0: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely gross disrespect. And then it goes up the chain to the department of um, the ODP's office where they may or may not decide that you you the only time that you get some credibility is now if there's some cctv and Mm -hmm. it goes to the if they if it goes to the press then they're obligated to act or with all the pedophile priests and clergy you just had such overwhelming great numbers that they're obligated to act they're obligated to do something Mm -hmm. so in my case You've got the judges saying, um, what other things did they say? They said the parents were dead. It was too long ago. Um, I'm trying to think of the other reasons that they gave. They were just so, oh, gosh. What else did these three men say? Um, Oh, he was only 13. You know, they're just aiding and abetting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. lies, corruption, perjury, and fraud.
0: And when I mean, he them-
1: signed, he signed an affidavit stating that the two families weren't known to one another. In getting ready for the civil case, well, I can blow that out of the water with forty years of evidence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can prove perjury, but where where am I going to prove it? on Slam the Gavel podcast, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's just, um, it's wrong. It's, it's, um, immoral. Mm-hmm. It should be illegal. And, you know, off, offer him, offering him a weasel clause, I offered him a solution given on his immense wealth, given mm-hmm. on his immense success, given on his, um, being an entrepreneur. I offered him a solution of what I, I, uh, um, 3.5k not 3.5 million 350,000 and the whole thing could have been dead and buried. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that was available for if he thought that was too much that that was available they asked me they asked me what I wanted and then they said to me oh now we've got you now for attempted blackmail. Well come on boys take me to court. Come on sue me for blackmail what you know Mm. (laughs) i just it's just um
0: you know it it it, also makes these judges look like child abusers
1: oh well there you go there you go there's Mm -hmm. we've got a woods report here in australia i don't know if you've heard of christian porter christian porter was the australian attorney general touted as our future prime minister And franked by his father growing up as such a brilliant student and such a brilliant mind that he would be Australia's next Prime Minister. When he was in university and he went on a pub crawl, he was so classy that he tied a plastic bag around his wrist to vomit into. Oh, heavens above you'd be great Prime Ministerial leadership quality. Can't wait to get you as our um, leader of Australia. So he ends up the Attorney General. And when he went to give his maiden speech in Parliament, he got off put by one of his colleagues who he'd been to school with, was in the public gallery. Now, her name was Kate. And she eventually, sadly due to COVID, it happened in WA, or they lived in WA, they went on a debating team to New South Wales where she alleged to the police later on that he raped her. And then she was living in South Australia. So at that point, you've got, Three states of Australia being involved, so you have this continuity of you know over like in America you've got sort of like um, it becomes messy over state limits or over you know because she was living in South Australia, but she had the offending happened in New South Wales and they were living in w a when when they traveled from w a where the offending occurred in New South Wales. When she went back after she made it, I think she had to travel from South Australia to New South Wales to make the report against him. And when she went back to South Australia, COVID hit and she couldn't get back across. Well, she committed suicide. Mm. So her, her testimony is there and it's valid and they've started um, investigating it against, you know, the, the, the foremost, uppermost legal person in Australia. And because she's dead, oh, we the whole investigation's now dead because she's dead. But when he was making his maiden speech in Parliament, she was there with other friends, and he saw her, and he was really put out. I mean, here's his, here's his, um, you know, whatever coming back to roost. Here's mm. his, this, you know, seeing her was very off putting. So he denied, you know, she's like, I don't know, confused. I don't know why she'd say I raped her. I don't know why she made a police report. So the Prime Minister didn't sack him. I mean, oh, you know, you get all these people coming out and saying, you know, you can't have trial by media. Well, what the hell else are we going to have? We're not going to have trial by court either. Mm -hmm. So this Woods report, which exists... It's got pedophiles going right up to past Australian Prime Ministers, magistrates and judges. There's about 40 very high profile men on it who are called out as pedophiles. They've been investigated and it exists in the Woods Report, but they won't release it. So it came up in the Royal Commission and when it came up, they said, oh, you know, we're busy with child sexual abuse. We're doing other things. We'll we'll come back to the Woods Report. Well, they never went back to it. So a petition was started, signed by lots of people, asking for the Woods report to be released. And have a guess where that petition went to. It went to the desk of the Australian Attorney-General, one Christian Porter, who's now under investigation for rape. Do you think he's going to release it?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I rest my case. Uh Uh-huh. I rest my case. I was trying to think of the other things the judges said as to why I couldn't have a voice, but I've got a voice anyway. Mm -hmm. I've got a voice. I mean, people are watching the, the, the documentary had been averaging 2000 views a month. So um, that's great. Well, it's going to be there long after I'm not, and this just helps um, validate the things that I I didn't say like the, the, the filmmaker that helped me make the documentary, he kept, he kept trying to weaken it and cut it back. And mm-hmm. as he was editing it and he would show me a version, which a a version that I would watch. He probably couldn't show me a version because they're <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry, a version because, um, um, he kept weakening it, and then I realized he was he was making it shorter. each version I was watching was a bit shorter, and I was thinking last time I watched it, something was in it, which is no longer there and then I realized Mary and he was worried about getting sued, so I just said, "Take your name off it, I just hire you as the filmmaker, and I'll take the legal hits mm-hmm. which you know because none have come, I don't know why any legal hits haven't come um." it allows me to just to get bigger and stronger and more vocal because when the judges first ruled against me, I was worried about getting sued. Um, And I wasn't in the position like George Powell, when he got convicted of child sexual abuse, he immediately had the wealth and the power and the might of the Catholic church behind him and instantly appealed to the high court. Well, I would have done the same thing, but I was out of money. I spent the lot, Marianne. Mm. And the the other man that put um, John Brown as a child sex abuse advocate, and he's older than me, but he, he had asked me if he could put the documentary online. And after he put it online, so Stuart Grimley put it online. He's a politician here in the Melbourne Parliament. And then John Brown put it online. And then John Brown said to me, you're in racing, right? And I said, yes. And he he said, can you tell me if you're a gambler? And I said, no, I'm not really. And he, he said, but you risked $100,000? Like, that's like having a bet. <laughs> I said, yes, I risked $100,000 and I lost it.
0: Mm.
1: But I'm not, I'm not really a gambler. So oh. um, he just said, that's crazy. And I suppose mm-hmm. I did gamble $100,000.
0: Well, shame on him for taking it. You know, it's, well, it's he—he like he didn't need it.
1: <laughs> he didn't no, even I, need it. I think he was quite. I think he was quite silly because he could have ripped the check up and and said to his lawyer, "She paid me. She sent me a check, which wouldn't have been untruthful." Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, this white entitlement is—you know—we take the lot. You know, we we never admit that we're wrong, and we don't. You know, his lawyer would have been saying to him, "Don't admit any liability," and I knew that. And I said to him in the meeting, "You don't have to admit anything to me. And I was there. Like you can stay in your la la bubble,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm calling you out as as someone who's raped me, and I stand by that, and I still stand by that. Allegedly.
0: Yeah, you know, I hate <laughs> that word, allegedly.
1: I don't know what it is." <laughs> You know, I'm just throwing it in there to protect myself.
0: <laughs> well, I actually put in a brief, I just took out the word allegedly because this is what happened.
1: Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've got to stop playing these silly games of um, let's pretend it's, you know, it's like Ingrid said, you know, we're all these women, they've got so much time on their hands that they're running around making up all these you know when are men going to start treating us with the respect that we deserve Mm -hmm. you know how would the judges feel if it was their daughter or their granddaughter or are they that cold-hearted and callous they wouldn't even care about that I mean it's no good having leaders in leadership positions if they don't lead exactly exactly so or if you want to lead I'm not going to follow you if you're a drink of water or you're corrupt or you're a kidder or you're you're not worthy of me following you, I'm going to refuse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you out. So the three judges' names were um, Priest, Beach and Kay and I call them out. And mm-hmm. another Court of Appeal judge was Joseph Santa Maria and him, his father and my mother were pen friends and my brother called me down and he put all mum's correspondence and that there and he said, go through and see if there's anything of interest. Well, there was lots of things of interest. So I rang, I could see Joseph Santa Maria. I figured it was Bob's son and I Googled him and yes, it was. And um, mum had his, uh, there was addresses and that there. So I got his number and I rang his home and I spoke to his wife, I think um, Joseph Court of Appeal, Santa Maria judge is now deceased, but I rang his home and his wife was so excited. And she said, Oh, Joseph's oh, when Joseph gets home from work, I'll get him to call you. He's going to be thrilled. And I'm thinking, no, he probably won't be that thrilled. But anyway he rang me and I was in the kitchen making culinary delights for the family. And this Court of Appeal judge from Melbourne, he, he rings me. So we have a little chat and his mum, my mum and his dad have been pen friends and I've got the correspondence and he was so excited and he stayed excited and happy until I turned the conversation around to his colleagues decision in the Court of Appeal in me challenging the statute of limitations. Oh, he said, you can't do this. And I, I'm like, yes, I can I already have, we're having a talk about it. And he's. He, he got um, he had to make a decision his decision that was that we're not going to talk about it so I wrote to him and I sent him my school report which was just I cried the first time I saw it I thought what what a terrible state this person's life was at 12 I've got no future I've got no education on my mum's threatening me to send me to Win layton home for bad girls and I'm like What made them bad? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A child of 12 is bad. What made made me bad? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when you're doubly disadvantaged. You've been raped and now your life's out of control and you're heading off to a home for bad girls. Well, there but for the grace of God go I. Mm -hmm. So I sent Robert, I sent Joseph Santa Maria this information So then it's on his conscience. I know that he read it. He opened it up and he looked at it. And eventually his conscience decided to give it to a woman in the Supreme Court and get her to put it in a big envelope and return it to me saying that it was inappropriate that he have the information. But I know he read it because it was open. And -hmm. I was kind of hoping that he would have taken this partially Form 2, Year 8 school report of a 12-year-old that left school midterm after four months and would have, could have hung it up in the coffee room at work and let these judges see of what the abuse did to me. Why wasn't I getting an education? Why wasn't I, my mum was an academic. Why am I leaving school at 12 midterm? Mm. You know, I can prove the damage done to me if you'll help me prove what they did to me. But, mm-hmm. but no, we're not going to you can't come into our court we're so exclusive and we're so you know they don't have strict s- skills they don't or they don't want to so when the redress scheme came in as a result of the Royal commission, where people who've been abused as children can apply for redress, and I can at some stage and I will at some stage, but I'll go public as public and as far and wide as I can before i anything called a scheme anything called a scheme, a scheme and a scam, they're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And they, when they first brought the redress scheme in, they said, we are going to exclude anyone that says they're a victim that wants to apply who's been in jail. And I'm like, holy heck, the reason they've been in jail is because they were sexually abused when they were a child. You know nothing. Mm-hmm. You know nothing. I had criminal intent at 10. And I'm just Mm -hmm. a little girl and you're going to exclude these men who've been raped at school or at boarding school by a pedophile teacher who's been facilitated and covered up and enabled. And then you're going to tell this person that they can't apply for the redress, which was piddly money. Anyway, the the Royal Commission said, we, we think that, you know, someone should be able to apply and get $250,000 and the government cut it back to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, hmm. yeah. So. Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a bunch of people that don't want to take any responsibility or accountability for a wrong that's just that's so evil. They just they just want to brush it off, and and thereby
1: allow it to continue and flourish. Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I I have no words. It's just disgusting. Their behavior is disgusting. Their no accountability is disgusting. These judges in black robes, they are child abusers, and they allow it to continue.
1: Yes, and I, I thought on a layman's terms and in a common sense terms, when I realized the police, a.k.a. the um, Department of Public Prosecutions, a... a are definitely not going to do anything. And while all this is dragging on, I'm doing some more research and I'm taking more interest. And I thought, well, they have to prove criminally beyond reasonable doubt. Whereas if I go civil and I sue him myself, forget about the palaver of going to court criminally where I have no power and I'm just a, a tool for the ODP's case the witness I'm nothing I'm nobody if Mm -hmm. I sue him it doesn't have to be beyond reasonable doubt it only has to be in all probability so where's the problem Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have a problem if they tell me the court's not corrupt and I sue him for rape well too easy Bob's Mm -hmm. your uncle I'm on my way but no um Mm -hmm. so there's more than one way to skin a cat I thought Mm-hmm. if i can't if i can't you know like i said to the qc do you think the system's corrupt and he said no well then we won't have a problem will we mm-hmm. so well,
0: then, then maybe he should have paid the hundred and twenty thousand yeah. dollars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well he's a judge now so probably oh no. he, well <laughs> then he can afford it now <laughs> well i sent them i sent them all a copy of like I can email the link to my documentary very easily. So I've sent it. I sent it to all the judges and that. Do you know how many responses I've had? Not one. Mm -mm. Not one. So now when I send it, because it's so easy to send, and to the media and to um, investigative journalists and that, I just put, because administration was weighing me down writing respectful letters and going and getting more ink for my printer and finding out their addresses. Now I just put who cares and send the link to find out who cares and you know, who cares? Nobody. None of them care, you know, and, and what are their jobs? They, they're six figure car provided, whatever, in whatever, um, you know, all these educated people that get to the top of the system hang your heads in shame you've got no credibility mm-hmm. what's your job for you know do your job is your job the child protection minister i've got that point now where I, I just drop i can drop my documentary link into comments for the premier who has not dan andrews is the premier of victoria um chrissy foster is an award-winning child sex abuse awareness advocate her husband got a state funeral when he died for the work that they did in this area. And Chrissy's an, a beautiful award winner, but she's not actually a child sex abuse victim herself. Mm-hmm. And when she heard my story in Ballarat, when they were on a junket for how we go, how, how the we go around um, Australia and ask the victims how the wording of the prime minister's apology should be, and having lunch and going to nice places and listening to victims. And when she heard my story, actually I thought I was going there to get an apology, but <laughs> no, they were just working out the wording for the apology for the prime minister's um, speech, which was given in Canberra. And when she heard my story, she just pulled me aside and said, "Marita, write to the premier of Victoria, who was Dan Andrews." Now, granted, Dan's very busy now with the COVID virus, but When I did what Chrissy said and wrote to him in mid-2018, sent it registered mail. I also sent it to the leader of the opposition, one Matthew Guy. I never heard back from him. Now, they have staff. Surely it would be a prerequisite if you get a respectful letter sent registered mail that you would at least acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. No. No. Well, Dan, I, I said to Dan Andrews, Martin Pakula is the Minister for Racing and the attorney general and I've heard he's hopeless and I concur because he won't respond to an email letter or a phone call Mm -hmm. and I I think he's he's friends with the man that I sued for rape eventually I got a generic response back from the premier's office that said we have sent this all to Martin Pakula's office now in my letter I said I've been trying to do business with him and he won't respond. So mm-hmm. here's the prem. It's like something out of Yes Minister, the skit from Yes Minister. Uh, Martin Pakula is the Attorney General. He's hopeless. He's now not the Attorney General. I heard that's because he's hopeless. So mm-hmm. we're sending your correspondence to him, who I'm saying in my letter to you won't respond to me. And the generic response said, did I know Lifeline's number? Oh, good. I feel like necking myself now, but I've got Lifeline's number. Oh, jeez. You've got to have a sense of humor, Marianne. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I I
0: find that that these attorneys that don't respond or just refuse to, like, respond to anything, those are the lawyers that went to low-budget law schools. They were not taught. Manners. That's how I look manners.
1: at it. Manners, manners, manners. Okay. So now I'm calling them out on Twitter every day. So I drop my link into, you know, Dan Andrews now as the premier is putting up. I'm getting lovely Christmas cards from children who've been homeschooled in COVID. So I'm like, do you care about child getting raped? Because I drop it in there, so someone's going cross at me, and. I talked to this person offline. She said, it's not appropriate that you put that there. And I'm like, well, I don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. I've done everything. And she said, oh, well, you should contact the child protection minister. I've been doing this for seven years. I didn't know this person existed. Mm -hmm. Well, she's worked in government. So I contacted the child protection minister and I get back the yes minister, the response from the building, like these letters. If I'm lucky enough to get a response, the letter doesn't have, signed by any particular person mm-hmm. so I'm screenshotting them now and I put it I sent it to her as a private message like I, it's like something at a yes minister oh, she said yeah. you have to be patient I've been patient for seven years how long do I have to be patient
0: mm-hmm. and
1: she said well it's not appropriate for you to be dropping your documentary in where Dan's getting nice Christmas cards drawn by kids oh my gosh like, i'm sorry i'm a little bit naughty because i find this amusing Mm -hmm. (sighs) so so i'm like telling them i'm screenshotting them and sending it back to them and saying soon stuff like this is going on twitter because it is like a skit from yes minister you need to deal with me you need to communicate with me you need to have a name i don't want to talk to a building Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so so they have this other little band-aid in Victoria oh, I don't know about the rest of Australia it's called a vocat claim so if you're a victim of crime you all you have to have done is made a police report and now you can make a victim of crime application so the police said to me okay you've made a report that you've been raped to the police now you can make and I'm like oh hang on a minute is that a like a payout funded by the my taxpayer and they said oh, yes, they're, like, really happy because, like, we've got a solution. I'm like, well, the poor old taxpayer, I've been one of those all my working life. I don't, like, why can't the person who perpetrated the crime pay? Well, why does the taxpayer have to pay? And they're like, well, this is what we do. This is the system. And I said, no, I don't want to make a claim as a victim of crime to the taxpayer. So at the finish of it, when I'm financially wound-licking and my case manager um, who, who is from Care, which is provided by the Catholic system. And I'm like, well, I'm happy that the Catholic system is aiding me because I know what my mum, I, I found a thing the other day. Mum had this beautiful little book with our Mary I got it last time I went home. It's got our lady on the front and she's kept a record of everyone that's written to her and that she's ticked back, that she's written back to them. And on every page, Marianne, there's, there's the word Marita. So every every page I've written to her and she's ticked that she's written back to me, but it's littered with priests. And in the priests, this father, that father, and another father, where she's written to them with a tick in Brackens is fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, a hundred and fifty dollars. She sent all those priests money. She never sent me any money, Mary. Ann. She oh, probably man. she's been funding priests forever. My grandfather, Mark Elliott, M. Elliott, like me, I never met him. He used to harness up the horses, go down to the races at Moonee Valley and he had a gold cravat tie pin that he used to put on and it had a little diamond on it. Now, my dad, who was the youngest of nine, he got the family um, heirloom jewel. Well, he melted that cravat down into an engagement ring with the diamond for my mum. But when my mum got married, she gave it to the Catholic Church and they melted it down into a chalice. Our family heirloom, you see the gold chalice with a diamond? So they can hold it up and pray for all the starving children in the world. Do you see see how it works, Marianne? Mm -hmm. So wearing their silk slippers and their rich silk robes, they can hold that chalice up and pray for the children, the starving children in poverty in the world see how it works oh. <laughs> so so i said I, I didn't want to make a claim and she said well you know now you're ten thousand dollars plus out of pocket i strongly recommend that you make a victim of crime payout so mm. okay so it went in and it was rejected and i won't give you the big long palaver the lawyer that she sent me to, they were called Sainz and Co. And uh, he's now a magistrate. He left the law firm 16 plus years ago. And the law firm runs with the magistrate's name. And I thought, all the law firms in Ballarat, isn't it weird that the Catholic Centre have sent me to Ron Sainz, who I found dodgy when I came here. So when I came to Ballarat, newly married don't know much about lawyers or barristers and we've got a bit of an issue going on and this Ron Sains is um he's dealing with it and I didn't think he was dealing with it very well so I went in to uh, sack them for incompetence and when I went in and I asked for my files Ron Sains came out himself he heard a kerfuffle in the office and he said he instructed me to leave the office and I refused and he said leave the office and I said well I'm not leaving without our files i'm sacking you for incompetence because you're incompetent Mm. and he said if you don't leave the office now i'm going to call the police and i said call the police well he called the police now they're pronto like he just had lunch with them five minutes the police rocked up obviously i have like i'm an emotional woman i won't leave the office without our files and he said to the police she might owe money and i said we don't owe any money i just want the files anyway the police escorted me off the premises I didn't have our files. A week later, they came in the post with a letter st- stating that we didn't know any money, as I as I said. Hmm. So when I've been rejected, so Ron Sains is now a magistrate. When I've been rejected by the court as a victim of crime, I accepted it. I'm not going to appeal. And then I get a letter from the court, January 2019, stating that, you are to appear in front of a magistrate. And I thought, well, that's really weird because I haven't appealed the decision. So I rang the court and I said, well, who's the magistrate? And they said, Ron Sainz. And I'm like, oh, he remembers me. I remember him. It's been 30 years. But has he turned out a good man? Has he seen this case and thought, oh, that's a bit stinky? Mm-hmm. Or is he, has he turned out a bad man? So off to court, I went and I went early because I had all my evidence and everything and my husband was going to come and I said, well, you'll be worrying about where you're going to park and stuff. So you just come in at your leisure. He came in and sat in the back of the courtroom. So my husband was my witness and I stand up in front of Ron Sainz who I've Googled. So he sends people um, down for speeding or drunk driving or anything like that every day of the week. And the first thing when I Googled him, it came up that he'd been caught speeding and lost his licence. And I thought, well, that's a bit funny, given that you're sitting up there every day, you know, waggling your finger at people who drink and drive or speed. Mm. So he, 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 I'm standing in front of Ron Sainz and he said I could sit down. And I thought, no, I'll stand. So I stood in the court and I could see his earring glinting. And I thought, well, we're just about to find out if you've turned out a good man or a bad man. Well, for 20 minutes, he lectured me on the legislation. And he said to me, I'm not sure you can understand me, but he said, your application has been rejected. And I thought, well, yeah, I know that. And I didn't appeal it, but I'm standing here in front of you. Are you? Have you turned out a good man or a bad man? Well, we're about to find out. So he said, "Um, I'm not sure that you're understanding me as he lectured me on the legislation, but he said, And I said, well, I'm pretty stupid because I left school when I was 12. So he said, well, I'm going to write to you, Mrs Murphy. And I thought, yeah, good, you do that. So in writing, I have that the court, Magistrates Court in Ballarat accepted that I was a victim of crime. I have that in writing. And for that, I received an award of $160 for money I'd spent on counselling. Now, I received that money back if I applied. So I applied and I got back $160 of my own money that I'd spent on counselling. Now, the reason that I went to counselling was through the freedom for information, I applied for my files, which was the police investigation, which was a big, long palaver. And at the end of it, all I got from the freedom for information was a copy of my statement, which I had. I I got back for the freedom for information to find out who my perpetrators were, where they were, what they said, what their ages or addresses were, their phone numbers. I didn't get any of that. I didn't get that back until the end of the civil case. But when the Freedom for Information sent through my statement, the police had written on it that we suggest she get counselling and she's refused. It was like a black mark against me. This woman's not following. This woman's not following what we do with all victims we might give them a therapy dog in court that they can pat imagine Mm. if you rejected the therapy dog wouldn't you be a bad person as Ingrid says I'd rather have a lawyer Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like it's just it's smoke and mirrors it's 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 um humiliation it's Mm. we're not going to treat you as the proper person like We've we've recommended that she's get counselling and she's refused. I'm actually a busy person. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Fir- the first time I went and saw the counsellor and the case manager said to me, I suspect that you're a victim that I couldn't just send to any counsellor. know you send me to a stupid little law student that tells me to behave like a nice lady. No, I'm mm-hmm. probably not going to put up with that. So she, I had to wait to get this counsellor that she thought would be suitable for me, who was older than me and very wise. And so I've got an appointment looming at three o'clock. And as it turned out, at two o'clock, a horse that I bred, I got an hour appointment, the ho- a horse that I bred was running in Tasmania at two o'clock well, I don't want to go in there and have a breakdown and start crying the first time I ever talked to a counsellor because I want to get out and listen to my horse racing. You've got Mm -hmm. to have your priorities right. Uh So I I hustled my butt out of the hour appointment because when I went in there, I said, got to make this snappy because I need to be out listening to my horse racing at 3 o'clock. Anyway, he won and he broke the track record. So where Mm. do you think my priorities were the first time I saw a counsellor? I wasn't going to go in there and have a little... Cry session about the fact that I, you know, sorry if I don't fit your stereotypical victim.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My life is actually quite on track. I'm quite okay. But mm-hmm. what I'm not okay with is how the system's treated me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's rubbish. I agree, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell everyone. <laughs> I'm
0: glad you told me because I'm going to tell everyone. They're gonna have to shoot me,
1: and they might. They might. I, had a little, I had a little mini breakdown about four weeks ago in the middle of COVID. My daughter can't go to work. She's been working upstairs for a year and a half. She's like 18 years old. It's so unfair. And, uh, you know, I've had to pay my perpetrator over $100,000. So I've ended up, I actually ended up um, going to the doctor. I couldn't breathe. They did an ECG on me. And they kept saying, no, your heart's fine. Your blood pressure's fine. I'm like, "Right, Why can't I breathe? I, re- I can't take a deep breath. I can't eat. I can't swallow. So I ended up in emergency one night and I thought it's okay to go there because they've got my history. Because after the judge's ruling, I collapsed at home and my children had to call an ambulance. Two ambulances came. I'd never been in an ambulance. They took me to hospital and I was there for over a week. So like I was very physically unwell after the judges ruled against me and it's all in my history. Mm. So I've ended up in emergency. I'm telling them I can't breathe. So they imagine they just immediately went all COVID on me and added to my stress. Mm-hmm. So when I got out of emergency, it's like about 11 o'clock at night and my son just happened to ring me and he said, oh, mum, I think you should ring the um racing victoria's psychologist so i rang her up and she said oh well, you know it's pretty late at night and he said "Oh, i think it's important um you're not doing well i rang her up and she said what's going on and i said i've just been into emergency i she said oh what happened i said i had a pity party and she said it's really important when you have a pity party that you have guests you did the right thing you have to invite people in when you have a party you can't have a party on your own mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. So Racing Victoria actually funded me to have um, some psych help, which is just absolutely beautiful of them. Mm -hmm. But I've been in Racing Victoria since I was 15. Mm -hmm. They know me. So I think that that's really beautiful that there's support, but it comes from the strangest places. It comes from the Mm -hmm. oddest places. Mm -hmm. But I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I mean,
1: we both, we both just cracked up laughing like I'm confessing to her that I've had a pity party and that I've been to emergency. And she just said, oh, it's very important that you have guests when you have a party. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I couldn't breathe. And, and mm-hmm. when I went to emergency, they said, what's going on? And I said, well, in the last week, I've had three men threaten me. Mm -hmm. not not to do with this case that we've been talking about and they said holy heck what happened I said well I threatened them all back Mm (laughs) and now and now I feel like I've got a vice in my chest and an anvil on my chest I can't breathe but but it it did it did deposit uh, I can't say that word Depicitated over time Mm -hmm. um disappeared over time but Mm -hmm. this is what this is what the mental health issues that survivors face because it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very stressful to have to pay someone. It's very stressful to incur a bill of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars when you're trying to tell what happened to you when you're a kid.
0: Oh, I am so sorry.
1: And the financial burden of that was that as a stay-at-home mom, I I bought some land. And I built some units as a stay-at-home mum, um, which is why I originally had to do business with Sains and found them incompetent. And to pay, to honour this bill, I had to sell a unit so I no longer have the asset. I no longer get the rent every week. Um, When I sold the asset, the government said that was income and that... um, I had to pay $22,000 in capital gains tax. So they took over $22,000. I had to pay him over $100,000. And then the government said, you've been getting help for having children at school and you have underestimated your income. So now you owe us $12,000. And they sent me a letter and I rang them up. Couldn't breathe. I said, you've just sent me a letter saying I owe you $12,000. And they said, yes, because you've underestimated your income, which is the sale of the unit or what you call an apartment. And they said, actually, it's not $12,000, it's $17,000. So I incurred a debt that I had to pay back to the government because I had to sell this apartment to pay the bill. So Mm. the financial hits just kept coming and coming and coming. They call that income. Oh, yeah, that's just, uh,
0: that's just bizarre.
1: And you don't get, you don't get interest on the money because, you know, when I had the money sitting in my everyday account and he'd had the check for three weeks, I had that money getting interest. Well, I've got it sitting in my everyday account just in case he does want to take my money and does want to present the check. And my sister just kept saying, if you can just shut your big mouth, and I'm thinking, no, that's probably not going to happen. So I emailed him. He had the cheque for three weeks, and I knew that he had the cheque because I'd sent it with some information because I didn't want him to sue me. I'd Mm -hmm. sent it registered mail, and I knew that the letter had been picked up from the post office. So I emailed him, and I said, if you think by not presenting my cheque that I'll remain silent, you'd be incorrect, and that's when he cashed the cheque but I had to have resolution I couldn't just he he could have just ripped that check up and not presented it and I I would have left him alone mm-hmm. because even though the judges never set eyes on me they actually gave me
0: $50,000
1: <clears> and I didn't get it all because the lawyers took over 10 so that's the financial wash up of trying to sue someone for rape the judges and I've had criminal lawyers, I've had lawyers, I've had solicitors look over the terms of my case and they're like, What do you mean the judges gave me $50,000? That is so weird. You're trying to sue someone for rape, the judge is saying, You can't, but we're going to give you $50,000. Well, how does that work? Where did that <laughs> money come from? Did they take <laughs> that out of their Christmas slush fund? I don't know. How can That's the judge. It is really weird. And 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 the terms of it was the my lawyers said to me, the judges said you can't sue. Here's their handing down, but they're gonna give you fifty thousand. They've set aside fifty thousand dollars for you. And then my lawyers said to me, who acted for me, and my solicitor looked over what I signed with my lawyers, which was no win, no fee, and my solicitor just held his head in his hands, and he's like why did you sign this? And I'm like, well, cause I want to sue someone for rape, and I can't afford it. And he said, if you win, they're just going to have a massive win. Like this is all actually my solicitor who just did like, um, conveyancing and stuff, wills and stuff like that for me. Um, I really needed him there. I needed him to look at what I signed before I signed it. But I'm like, well, if I just go around hiring people and, incurring debts and having to pay everybody i won't have any money if i fail Mm -hmm. so he he looked at the terms of what i signed with them and he just said this is appalling. it's all for them it's not Mm -hmm. for you it should you know that old saying um the lawyers say we won or you lost
0: Mm -hmm.
1: not we lost you lost not you won no, it's we won or you lost. And that's basically how it works. And I knew that it was very important that I stopped the bleeding legally because I couldn't afford it. I can't mm. pay these high stakes game. I'm out of stakes. So mm. his lawyers who I'd met, I met his lawyer the day that I had the meeting with him, his lawyers had hired a law firm to pursue me for the money. And I just suddenly got an email from this law firm that I'd never heard of for $120,000. And I emailed them and said, um, I order you to cease and desist. Do not contact me again. And they didn't, which was, you know, pretty, pretty decent of them, really. I mm-hmm. knew I had to handle it myself to stop the bleeding as quick because my lawyers wanted to consent, test the bill. Of mm-hmm. course they would. That just creates work for them. Mm-hmm. Oh that's what lit- that's what litigation does. Well, even Ingrid was concerned that I hadn't contested the bill, but I didn't pay the whole bill. I sent him a check, a personal check for one hundred thousand dollars and ten cents. The bill was one hundred and twenty thousand, and they had the cheek to send his lawyer, his friend, his lawyer, who threatened me. He sent me an email saying. We see that you're on social media now. If you get off social media, we'll let you off the $20,000. And I'm like, hell no, I'd rather pay it. <laughs> what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. What are they going to do?
0: Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you told your story
1: and I will
0: get it out there. Thank you. You have. You have
1: by already having me on and allowing me to vent, hopefully in a meaningful, useful way, not in a mm-hmm. vindictive, bitter. That's unproductive. We need to do productive things.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I asked you before, like how can people reach you if they need to talk to you?
1: Um, Facebook, Messenger, Twitter, Instagram, I do a little bit of, not a lot. I don't have a website as such, but my documentary, you be the Judge," has its own page, so it has its own public profile. So to, I put everyday victim stuff on there to try and keep my page a mm-hmm. bit more fun and light and friends. So I, I'm not kind of taking more friends requests on my personal page because it's at the 5,000 oh. max just just about, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, I only got active on social media to get a voice and then that becomes awkward because you've got friends that you went to school with and that that Mm -hmm. are suddenly popping up saying, hey, we found you. And I'm like, well, just Mm. get out of my way. I'm trying to screw the system. (laughs) Right, right. It has become, it has become fun. It has become joyous. mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Now the You Be the Judge, that's on the YouTube, right? Or do you have another
1: website for that? I have a Facebook public profile page called you be the judge film page. Okay. Okay. So if you Google, Google any of those things, I'm sure they'll pop up.
0: Gotcha. I'll put that in the face or the podcast notes.
1: Thank you so much, Marianne. I think what you're doing information sharing and networking is absolutely amazing. I love your work. I love what you're doing. I love, everybody kind of ends up with their own style and their own format and their own direction and you know we're helping one another all the time mm-hmm. um highlight this injustice however it, you know I, I could see I didn't know domestic violence was just DV I didn't know about the horrors of the family court and parental annihilation I've learned so much gaslighting, trigger warning, victim blaming I wasn't sort of over all this terminology and um understanding, and um I think the standard that we all walk past is the standard that we're happy to accept, and I'm calling on people's consciences to say, "You know, help vulnerable people mm. agitate and advocate for vulnerable people and against injustice." Use your voice for good. Mm -hmm. Um, For evil to prosper merely takes good people to do nothing. Do what you can. Say Mm -hmm. what you can. Leave the world a better place. You know, Indigenous women and Indigenous children and, you know, um, people attacking other people online because they have said it might be coming from a good place, but people will attack them. Um, You know, we had a case here of a little girl that got, taken and you know the whole world stops while we wait with bated breath and she was actually found alive but an Indigenous woman said I'd like to highlight highlight all the Indigenous children that go missing and there's not an uproar and then people attacked her for that but you've got to look for the good in people Mm -hmm. you've got to understand that they're not coming from a bad place it can it's all about perception Mm -hmm. you know A story has two sides. Actually, no, it doesn't. It has a 100. It's all Mm -hmm. about how you want to perceive and what angle you want to take. Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Don't jump off, okay? No. (laughs) Slam the Gals, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dispensely Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future for another exciting episode. Thank you again, Marita. Thank you so much.